Hello, beautiful souls. I'm your host, Shakira Moore, and welcome to another episode of the Perspective Matters podcast. I have a special treat for you today. I will be having a special guest for this episode. And the special guest is none other than my good friend, Jermaine O'Connor. Now, Jermaine is the published author of two books, two amazing poetry books. First one, Reminders and Revelations, and his second book, The Resolve. So for this episode, we'll be talking a bit about how he's been coping with the new normal and some strategies he has in place for coping. And we'll dive a little deeper into his two books. And I have favorites in each that we're going to talk about because they are timeless and I think also very relevant to what we're going through right now. And they provide a sense of inspiration and comfort and hope. So I wanted to share the points with you and we're going to just discuss them some more and pick out some important nuggets and gems. So stay tuned. Thank you for agreeing to be the guest on my show. So just tell the people a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and then let's just dive right into what are some of the strategies that you've implemented since we've been asked to stay indoors more often and practice social distancing. Great. So my name is Jermaine O'Connor. I'm a marketing professional. I focus on social media a lot. I have a background in video marketing, YouTube, a bit of Amazon, some display. So I guess I'm a little bit well-rounded there. So that's me. Highly creative. I really enjoy writing and music. Yeah. Now that we have our new normal, which is staying indoors... And if we have to venture outside, we practice social distancing. What are some of the ways that you've been coping with our new normal? Good question. In terms of the outbreak and staying home, it's great because you're not being really monitored. Yeah. I can kind of use the time a little bit more for myself. And essentially do a little bit more writing, more reading, music playing. Just kind of taking advantage of being in my space, creating balance and structure or reinforcing that's, you know, taking breaks, being mindful that I'm at home and I'm working. So I have to kind of use the space to my advantage. Right. And, you know, whether that's working in my living room versus my bed, making sure that I'm taking breaks in the way that I would if I was at the office. Considering nothing is at my house, my area, it's really about how to take advantage and being good with, I guess you could say, a minimal lifestyle. The idea that, you know, we have less. Yeah. So being good with enough and understanding that, you know, your home can be all you need if you are tactical about and in control. Again, taking those breaks. I have a dog, so uh, I try to walk her midday. She always needs an evening walk. Yeah. So I try to structure that out as well with having calls and duties at work, obviously, and emails to answer. 
So striking that balance and yeah, really making sure that my health is in check. As much as at the office, we typically sit all day. We usually are more, I think, granted the opportunity to kind of get up and do what we need to do as long as our work is getting done. Yeah. So applying that at home in the sense that it's really easy to sit on your couch for 12 hours. Right. Are you eating? Are you taking a break? Are you staring at the same, you know, emails, your inbox all day? Or are you switching it up? So the idea is to try and maintain a similar routine at home as you were in the office once you're within the work hours of, say, nine to five. So take regular breaks. Yeah. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Move around. Of course, being at home has introduced new things into your routine. So, of course, you have to walk Mia, which wouldn't have happened if you were in the office. Exactly. So... Coping means just shifting and adjusting your workday routine. Yeah, it's necessary. It's a challenge, remaining disciplined above all else. So how do you stay connected with your friends and other coworkers in light of you not being able to meet up? Because I know for you, one of the important things to you then is being able to like see your friends and hang out and to meet with them and to collaborate because you're a creative. Yeah. So how have you been able to adapt and what have you put in place to still be able to function as a creative and still collaborate with your friends and still meet? Well, funny enough, all that collaboration has been brought to a halt. Yeah. (laughs) We've actually, up until maybe two weeks ago, we were meeting up every Saturday for the last two years almost. Right. So we're looking at it as this is some much needed time for ourselves. However, we still stay connected via WhatsApp, just being like, this was going on at work. How are you guys doing? You know, when this blows over, we'll get right back to it. But still doing our own thing in our own nests. Right. Those, those check-ins are important, even from a non-creative or productive standpoint, it's really just, you know, how are you guys doing? How are we doing? Right? Right. So I have a few group chats going where we just pretty much, we're sharing memes, joking about it, but in a way that just keeps us positive because it's probably foreseeably getting a little worse than it is now, but just being, you know, mindful of the climate, inspiring each other. Right. Keeping our spirits up. And just looking out for each other. That's been probably more necessary than than even the creative check-ins. Right. Even just venting, even if we have to. The home time does grant more alone time. So being able to dive more into creative work and kind of being in your own world. So it's often a luxury that uh, we're not always afford in this nine to five world. So Right. Speaking of more alone time, I've noticed there is now an emerging theme which encourages people to do a lot more introspection, a lot more reflection. Yeah. So do you find that you are doing more of that now that 
you have the luxury of more alone time or it's business as usual where your mental well-being and a personal mental check-in is concerned? I think I'm probably a bit more introspective and all of that now with the alone time. Yeah. I think it's an environment thing. My home is probably where I create the most. Right. The introspection and the the well-being and all of that built the habits at home. Right. So kind of being at home more now, as much as there's emails and calls to make. Right. My brain is in that environment of being shut in. So it's kind of like being able to have a staycation, you know. And I was planning one, but I may not need one anymore because <laughs> I'll be at home, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of keeping your spirits up and staying entertained when you're no longer required to be on, meaning you're no longer required to be doing work, like what is your go-to for entertainment and relaxation and fun? For me, my go-to is usually more gaming and more binge-watching. And that's really because probably when things were faster, busier, I tried to use my time more productively. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm learning not to judge that as much. Right. So thinking that, okay, I work nine to five. Now, six to midnight, I got to grind some more. And it's important, the work ethic and the routine. You have goals and ambitions. But knowing that if there's a an evening where I just want to watch like five episodes of something, that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. If you pay attention to the world, you feel like you are not being as productive as you should be. And you can't take a break. Exactly. You sleep when you're dead. You rest when you're dead. When you're just starting out, it makes it makes sense. You can easily buy into that kind of philosophy, but it's not sustainable. Exactly. And if you're not careful, you'll burn yourself out. Yeah. So the idea then is to not buy into that mindset where you are constantly on the go and it is okay to take a step back. Yeah. It's okay to take a break. Yeah. And you don't have to feel guilty because the trouble is you do take the break, but then you can't enjoy it because you're riddled with guilt. Yeah. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be planning. I should be strategizing. Why am I watching five episodes of this show? When you do need a break, the mind needs a break to rest. Yeah. And, you know, you can regroup, recalibrate, and then go at it again. So I'm very glad you raised the point about it being okay to just take a break and just relaxing and enjoying it as well. Exactly. It circles back to to balance, right? Right. And rest is an important ingredient to any routine. So, you know, if you get 10 things a day, it's probably great. But, you know, uh, if you're doing one, one thing after another, as opposed to maybe a break in between, there's nothing wrong with getting five things done in the day. Right. So learning that or unlearning that and relying on yourself not to judge yourself too much. Right. 
that's another thing to learn that because eventually when this all blows over everyone would hopefully all got to go back to work and the adjustment of going from being couch bound homebound you know to the desk the commute so right keeping that that balance and yeah so trying not to deviate from your set routine and that's something i talked about in one of the last episodes where if you are able to do your best to keep a routine and to keep your mind in that space where between nine and five, if that's your work time, then you're at work as long as you have work to do and you're still employed then, or even if you work for yourself, keep your routine where you're on for that length of time and then carry on with the rest of your day. Because the minute you deviate and deviate so greatly from your routine, when things start to pick up and we start to resume what was our previous life, then you don't want to have to make such great readjustments and then having to struggle with being able to get up at six again and getting into the office for eight or for nine or whatever your routine was before. Yeah, exactly. And I find that's been working for me. So keeping my routine as best as possible, trying to live as normal a life as possible. Exactly. In spite of what is going on now, like it helps me to hope and it helps me to still clutch on to some measure of control because I think what would cause panic or what would cause some kind of warrior disturbance is you losing control or losing a sense of your own reality because before two weeks ago whether or not we liked it admitted it or even appreciated it we all lived by a specific routine yeah got up at six got in the office by eight got coffee sat at your desk, had your first meeting, blinked two times, it was five o'clock. Yeah. And you know, you do that cycle for five days and then Saturday and Sunday, we're up in the air, you did whatever you wanted to do and Monday you're back at it again and that was your life. If you are, you know, you're an employer, if it worked for yourself or whatever, COVID happened and then boom, you're forced to stay home. So there's no more need to rush through the door. Yeah. There's no more need to say, oh, I have to beat the traffic. There's no traffic to beat because we're all indoors. So how do you try to hold on to some measure of control when it's being snatched away from you in some cases quite subtly and in others in a significant way? Exactly. You know, so that's something to be mindful about. Yeah. It's a challenge of self-regulation, autonomy, right? Not so much as relying on the 95 timeline, but to acknowledge the time you have. So, you know, you have nine to five and that's one area of your life and how are you structuring the rest of it right right and so if that nine to five is gone okay what can you make more time for you don't commute anymore maybe you are reading more different things like that yeah and what i can say having had to make the adjustments to what is now my new normal I've started to question the value I place on certain things and started to question what is important versus what isn't. Yeah. So you realize, oh, like having to get up, having to go into work, having to work hard, having to grind, having places to go and people to meet and things to do. Yeah. You know, this feeling of being so important and so busy. Yeah. Like that's what you're valued. But when you have nowhere to go, you can't meet 
anybody. <laughs> You're forced to be in your own space and to deal with yourself. Exactly. And maybe others, if you live in a, a larger household, then you start to question what is really important? And do I need to then readjust and reassess the things I hold near and dear to me? You know? Exactly. So my hope is as we continue to stay in this confinement and as we are forced to face what is now becoming our new normal, that we start to question the things that we place value on and not be afraid to ask the questions and not be afraid to answer them too. Yeah. And sit with it because it's not necessarily an, a comfortable thing to do. Yeah. So be okay with being uncomfortable. Exactly. It's interesting times that we live in. For me, there hasn't been much adjustment because I'm by myself. So there isn't another person I have to interact with 24-7 and having to cope with another person in my space. Yeah. So for me, it's almost like business as usual. Yeah. But for those of us who now have to deal with a spouse and deal with children, like how do you adjust yeah. And how do you become comfortable with what is now making you uncomfortable? Because for some of us, work was a means of escape. Yeah. School was a means of escape. Having activities outside of our dwelling was our way of escaping. Yeah. So now that there is nowhere to escape to, how do you cope? I think that's a question that we all at some point have to face. Yeah. The answer might not be easy to come to terms with, but I think it's necessary. Yeah. So in terms of coping, do you have a book that you turn to, a philosophy that you pay more attention to? Is there a thought leader that you really start to take more interest in in terms of your spirituality then? What are you holding on to in these times? <laughs> Good question. Um, my spirituality, it, I won't say it's changed, it's, it's amplified. One thing I, I typically do, aside from journaling every few days or almost every day, I try to. I do try as well visualization, meditation before I sleep. Right. So without thinking anxiously, I just think futuristically in terms of what I actually painting a picture, almost like a mental mood board. If you want to, or, or mental vision board, I should say. Mental vision board. I like it. Yeah. So, you know, whether you believe in law of attraction and all of that. Right. There's benefits to it. It gets you visualizing what you want more and more. And it allows, you know, your dreams and goals to become more concrete and thus, when you kind of open your eyes and you end up in the real world, you have these images ingrained in your head. Right. Then continue to seek them out in terms of your actions and the environments you put yourself in, the people you connect with, the content you consume. Right. And so I've continued doing that unless I just fall asleep. <laughs> um, I just say, yeah, so I, I do that. And that's been a good anchor for me. Yeah. I think what's really important has been doubling down on or just reminding myself of the anchors I always sort of had. And I say that because, again, we get caught up in everything. And you kind of forget that you have a favorite song or a favorite movie. Yeah. Or a favorite book 
And sometimes that's all you got to remind yourself of. So sometimes you just need 30 minutes to play a whole bunch of songs. And then you actually do forget about what you have to worry about tomorrow. And you forget about what you did during the day. Yeah. So again, that alone time and that privacy has allowed me to do that. Circling back to spirituality and how that kind of plays a part is, I mean, I used to meditate way back. Yeah. I found that helped me feel very light and very grounded in a sense, but more aware. Yeah. I learned the importance of having, you know, beliefs and sort of uh, philosophies and things that you return to in good or bad times. Yeah. So I've always been somebody who identifies with the turtle or the tortoise. Right. I mean, when you Google them and stuff, symbolically, they have themes around self-preservation, patience, the idea that no matter where you are is the right place. So there's never a wrong place. Or better yet, there's never even a wrong time. You know, looking at where everything is. Right. And this is to be applied, you know, on a micro level uh, for the for yourself. But applying it to myself, it's that, okay, work is slowed down. You know, things are going on. But for me, there's a positive thing here that I can dig up, that I can find here. I have more time. Okay, so more time means I can do this now. More being alone now means I can rest more or different things like that. And it's about, not ignoring the negative it's just kind of being i guess realistically balanced as you can be but thinking about it as this is an opportunity for me to take care of myself more sure i'm not maybe able to work sure there's this sure there's that but right now this is where things are so where i am doesn't mean that i can necessarily give less or do less it's about not thinking about before or after thinking about now right right so you know that spirituality and thinking of the tortoise and thinking like that is you're never in the wrong place or the wrong time you're here is always there and there is always here right so thinking about that for myself that's how i've been able to also remain positive and sort of pace myself that way and it allows me to face an obstacle one after another and not really be too frightful i guess or as anxious reminding myself that this will pretty much pass but being very much focused on the present Yes, I'm glad you mentioned reminders and I'm happy you also brought up books because for me, I think being able to read more has been helpful in terms of just one, distracting myself, two, exposing myself to new information and three, just it's a good way for me to cope. Yeah. Speaking of books and reminders, you wrote two books. Yeah. And they are amazing books, I must say. Thank you. There are a couple of poems that I've highlighted as good examples of ways to just think or perspectives to just chew on in light of what is happening now. So your first book, Reminders and Revelations. Yeah. I rave about this book all the time because it's a timeless piece of work. Thank you. And regardless of what you're going through, there's a poem in there that describes the situation or gives you some sense of hope. So I rave about this one. And then your second work, The Resolve. And I feel like in a time like now where we're slowly losing our 
grip on reality and we're slowly having to let go of control and routine, being able to hold on to some measure of resolve and being able to, you know, still hold on to some sense of self amidst all this chaos, I think is like truly, (laughs) it's important. So I just wanted to dive right in and uh, I'm going to start with your second book. And there are two poems that I think you can find some value in and will help you to just reshape, reframe your perspective and outlook on life in light of what is happening now. So the first one that I found interesting was belonging. (laughs) Do you want to do the honors and read that one? Yeah. Go for it. That belonging, feel it. Do not leave it. Hold it in your sight and deeper in your lungs. Stay with it. Warm yourself to its invitation. Stay until the opening is there and then give to it. Once you welcome who it is asking you to be, you will ultimately deserve it. So this was a piece about really embracing and kind of being close to your intuition and sense of belonging yeah and the idea that it's going to come from within and less about the feeling of belonging that comes from an environment or a group of people it's about going within and finding that home that you then carry with right right when it comes to life and all of that you know we tend to attribute success as the next thing right so when i get the car i will when i get the job i will you know and it misplaces you know your power as well so yeah belonging is that understanding of it's from within and that person who to that feeling of belonging is going to require a deeper sense of self a deeper closeness to yourself to access it and that person that ends up feeling that belonging is then the one who's going to carry that feeling of belonging that feeling of home wherever they go right it's an idea of confidence but it's also in the sense not just confidence in the sense of i can do something but it's also the self-assurance of i am so that's what that piece yeah those are some of the reasons i chose this one to start with because prior to being confined most of us i think would allow our identity to be wrapped up in what we do yeah what we have yeah what we've achieved and know that we are forced to stay indoors there is no work to go to yeah there is no business to run because most of them have shut their doors yeah there is no service to provide anymore so know that you don't have those things with which to identify yourself with who are you exactly and know that you're forced to spend more time with yourself and you're forced to confront yourself who are you and where do you fit in where do you belong in your own life in the grand scheme of things in this whole human existence this whole human experience yeah so though (laughs) those are some of the questions that I have to ask myself and I confront myself with from time to time because if you continue to get caught up in this rat race as I call life sometimes 
it's easy for you to lose yourself and wanting to do things that allow you to fit in. So you measure your success of achieving. I knew there were poems that I could count on to raise certain issues and ask certain questions. And this was the first one. I was like, yes, this is a a great way to start a conversation. Yeah. So the second one I found was liberation versus loneliness. I was alone. I was like, yes, <laughs> one word confined. <laughs> and two, now we have to confront ourselves. So most of us are alone. Yeah. So cut off from everybody else. How do you confront that? So yeah, I'm going to ask you to read this one again. Yes. No, of course. Uh, so it goes liberation versus loneliness. What is it that we desire from ourselves? Silence is company, silence and shrouds. I find it interesting how much we are without, how much we can become with, and why we lose sight of one circumstance for the other. I'm finger snapping right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this one, the first thing that inspired me on this one was most of my life, I'll see even anyone that really knows me knows I'm pretty independent and emotionally independent and self-reliant yeah and so with that you lone wolf it you live in your own world yeah you know people i think they one as much as they may not see the value in it not many understand the differences and they they attribute it very much in a physical environmental sense of not being around people thus being lonely or are you alone or even better, are you, you know, sort of liberated? And and so how much we are without and how much we can become with. Yeah. You know, so I've always looked at things as being who I can, being who I am without. I think society in general, again, when we talk about success and things, we, we do think a lot more about how much we can become with. Getting that thing, those people make me this And the fact that, you know, you can kind of go one way and forget the other or one gets sacrificed in order to strive for the other. And, you know, how much we are without is then, to me, the most liberating thing. Yeah. What you're able to accomplish, but not just materially, but, you know, just even in the sense of striving for something as simple as peace, right? How liberating that is to know you can be your own provider of something like that, your own sovereignty. And how much we can become with a lot of times, again, a team, having good people around you, that's always important. But we know the work can't be done with them. Yeah. Or they can't do it for us. The hard work in ourselves is our job, right? Right. So thinking that it's the idea of dependency, right? Right. Not support, but dependency. There's a difference there. And so in a time like this, it it comes down to, you know, how can we support each other? But knowing how much we are without is where I think many of us should strive to be. Right. Getting in that mentality of without everything, who am I? Yeah. What, what is left? What is left? You know, am I defined by my friends or am I defined by my actions and things like that? Right. So being in your own company can reinforce that liberation depending on how you look at it. So that's where I was coming from in writing that. And a lot of people might look at my view as lonely 
when I don't see it that way at all. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because that's the space I'm in now. So I'd say maybe five years ago, I would have looked at it as loneliness. Yeah. Because I didn't like my own company. And being, being alone and being silent was the hardest thing to do because it meant having to face myself. And that was uncomfortable and it was hard and it was painful to do. Yeah. Fast forward five years, I absolutely enjoy my own company. I'm highly entertaining. <laughs> 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 and to me, silence is the best thing ever. No, I'm sitting on the other side of liberation. When I can get to a place in my life where if I don't interact with another human being for an extended period, it doesn't affect my mood. Yeah. It doesn't affect how I think about myself. Yeah. It doesn't affect me full stop because... I am confident in who I am as an individual. I'm comfortable with who I am. I like silence. It gives me a chance to think, yeah. to reflect, to process, to heal. Yeah, It gives me a chance to just be without any strings or influence from any outsider then or any outside influence. Yeah. So that's the reason I picked this point because in a time like this, where there are some of us who do live alone, do we see it as loneliness or do we see it as liberation? Is this a time for us to wallow in self-pity because we don't have a quarantine bay? (laughs) 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 And we don't have anybody else to connect with? Or is it a time of liberation where you are comfortable regardless and you are just free to be and free to exist in your own space. And if you do have to share your space with somebody else, are you still able to find freedom in that? Can you create in your own mind a place to escape and just be? Yeah. So that's why I've mentioned this poem and I chose this one because this was written years ago and it's still very relevant today. And that's why I appreciate your work because it's intentional. I work is so timeless and it is able to cross situations. It's able to impact people regardless of gender, beliefs, social status. Yeah. As long as you call yourself human, as long as you have humanity within you, then you'll be able to relate. And for me, that's why I thought this poem was important to share with everybody else, because it's all about your perspective. Like this podcast, his name is, it's all about how you look at things. Yeah. So if you are forced to stay inside, if you're forced to sit in silence and confront yourself, Is it going to be a liberating experience or is it going to be a lonely one? And one thing I'll even add to this, the idea too, is I kind of look at it in in dualities where, you know, some people, you could describe them as a complete bucket of water. And some people have a bucket with a hole in it. And, you know, you go to the well and you fill the water and... You are then, you know, if you're the one with a hole in it, you're going to be looking for somebody who doesn't have a hole in their bucket and you're going to ask them to pour you some water and they pour that water into the bucket, but you got a hole in it. So that water is going to deplete and you're going to be looking for another bucket to fill you up, you know, striving to kind of be that full bucket. Not that you go around pouring in everyone else's bucket, but the idea that you being a full bucket means, you know, 
you can fill yourself up whenever you need to. You can you bring your bucket to the well and, you know, boom, you fill it up. You go back and you fill it up. You use it, you fill it up. The idea there is how much you can be without. Yeah, that's kind of where this piece sort of brought me. So that was the resolve. I'll put the Amazon link in my show notes for those of us who do like a good book of poetry. And then we're going to now talk about my absolute favorite. <laughs> the one I keep hounding you about to publicize because it's such an excellent body of work. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah, like excellent. <laughs> I have to like tell myself, no, there, I have to set a time limit in terms of how long this episode is going to run for. And the number of poems I wanted to pull from in this book, Reminders and Revelations. When I first saw the title, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then as I started to... To read, I thought the title was so apt. Yes. Because there are things in here that do cause me to really reflect. And there are some reminders I really needed, you know, in terms of how I lived, my outlook on life, and then revelations. There are some things that I needed my eyes to be opened up to see. Yeah. So for today, I just wanted us to focus on reminders because in a time like this, we need, we need reminders, especially ones that have positive messages in them. Yeah. So I'm not going to go in the order that they were written, but more in terms of the themes themselves. So the first one that I want us to just talk about for a little bit is uncertainty. And that's on page 49. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, for, the, for those who don't yet have the book, yeah, you do the honors. It, it's your work. So I'm going to ask you to read all of them because it's your time to shine. So could you do us the honors? <laughs> of course. <laughs> no problem. Just a caveat here. Yeah. So I wrote this when I was, yeah, definitely thinking about trusting and trusting the process. That's, that's really the idea behind this and the internal feeling of that trust. I'm just going to read it here. So uncertainty. <laughs> Uncertainty was a feeling I could never grasp until I chose to embrace it. So the idea behind that, again, is, you know, we chase after the things to give us certainty. Again, whether it's success and the materials, but sometimes it's not even the materials. It's us thinking that we can have control over things in which we, you know, do not. And the reality is control really comes from fear, right? Right. And wanting to control it. And so that's why we, we grasp, right? Right. We're drawing a, our hands out and grasping and grappling, holding, gripping, and embracing is really, you know, when you, I mean, if you, if you think about something you, you grasp or grip, it's going to be a bit more aggressive and it implies more, you can almost say it implies a little bit of neediness to it. You hold something tight, right? Right. Gripping it. The thing you embrace is something you're going to approach and welcome. In many cases, it's something you're allowing to approach you to embrace it. So the idea that uncertainty is really, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a relationship. Right. Have a relationship with uncertainty in terms of how you choose to treat it or approach it. You know, there's uncertainty in the world. Am I going to grasp at everything, trying to control everything? Or do I allow what happens to happen 
and do what I can do that's within my realm of power capacity, right? Right. And so making the choice to embrace uncertainty for what it is, is the theme there. And that's the sentiment behind why I chose this one is because right now there are so many questions. There are more questions than there are answers. Yeah. And uncertainty is is a place that brings with it discomfort. And there are a few of us who are comfortable with being uncomfortable, but the majority of us are not. Yeah. So in a time like now where your job is uncertain, the economy is uncertain, your own health and life, you are not certain of. How do you cope? How do you adjust how do you come to terms with that? And like you said, grasp here is you trying to hold on to some measure of control. Exactly. If you look at your body's position when you grasp something, your hands are locked around an object, meaning like your hands are closed. But then when you go to embrace someone or something, your arms and your body is open. Exactly. So it's like you are physically accepting and welcoming something or someone. So this three lines, four lines, five lines have so much power and so much honesty and truth and profound wisdom in terms of how we should look at things. Don't try and hold on to things you have no control over, but rather let go, surrender, embrace, open yourself up to what is, and then see how things flow from there. And I feel like once we make the decision to let go, surrender, embrace, the worry falls away and ideas of how you can now adjust will come. Yeah. Because you're no longer operating from a place of fear. And I think that's important. And in a time like this, that's the kind of message that we need to hear and be reminded of. Yeah. So don't try to hold on to and control, but let go, surrender and embrace. So awesome, awesome. All right. So <laughs> the next one I want us to share with our beautiful souls. So this one is introspection on page 75 for good people out there. And I again, will link the book in my show notes and I'm encouraging everyone to go grab themselves a copy because it's, it's a good investment. Anytime you're ready. <laughs> yes. So introspection, those conversations alone in the dark revealed the most. For I spoke what I couldn't see into existence and I would see everything I never said. Introspection. Yeah. So, yeah. So the idea here is for me, the things we say to ourselves and the things we visualize. Introspection is a very, you know, powerful thing. So, you know, I spoke what I couldn't see into existence. The idea there is, you know, Things I could have never imagined have come to be. Yeah. And then seeing things, seeing everything I never said, that again then is how I've never thought I'd experience that I may have always wished for, but also, you know, denied myself. The conversations in the dark, you know, when I say revealed the most, it's because we dream, or at least myself, and so, you know, you'll dream of the positive of, you know, things speaking good things into existence, but sometimes we we see things we never would have thought of. 
and or we see things we always thought we might not have deserved, you know? And so when I say I never said, it's it also is the idea that I never put those things out there, but sometimes they've come about and those conversations, you can get dark, right? Right. So it's knowing that introspection is powerful. You know, our life kind of plays out in, in terms of what we where we focus and what we what we say and and what we wish on ourselves or, or wish for ourselves, right? Right. That was my mindset at that time. Trying to write about, in my own way, defining you know introspection. And for me, I chose this one because we now have the freedom and the time to do this. Yeah. We no longer have the excuse of work or school or running a business or an empire. Yeah. Most of our excuses have now been removed. So now we're forced to face ourselves. We're forced to confront ourselves. And I think in that experience, we'll be able to uncover who we truly are. And then it becomes a do we like what we see? Yeah. So for me, the conversations alone in the dark reveal the most is I didn't take it as literal in terms of you <laughs> sitting in the dark. But for me, it was more of you finding that quiet space, going within to really finally spend some time with yourself. Ask yourself those those tough questions then and sit with what you're going through ask yourself, am I okay? How am I coping? Like really do a check-in. Yeah. And it is in sitting and asking yourself those questions that you then get to see who you are and the answers about who you are, how you think, how you're feeling. That That's when all of that will be revealed. And most of us hide behind our work, our relationships, our obligations. We hide behind so many of those things because we don't want to face ourselves and know that they're being peeled away bit by bit. Yeah. Now we are forced to sit in the dark and then face what is being revealed to us. I thought it was important to bring this one up and just to share this with everyone because it's important that we do some introspection. It's the only way that we can grow. And going through an experience like this, yeah. It serves you better. It serves the community better. It serves humanity better when you grow from this experience and you improve. The second section for me talks about allowing yourself to dream. For I spoke what I couldn't see into existence and I would see everything I never said. Because sometimes we're so busy executing one dream, we sacrifice the others. I will put everything else on the back burner. Know that there is no grind to get to. <laughs> now you're free to let your mind roam and wander and explore and revisit passions that you never thought you had time for. Yeah. So now I have friends who have taken up painting because no, there is nothing else to do. They have all this free time on their hands. So now they've discovered that they are really good artists and now they're painting they're spending hours on end painting of other people who are writing journaling so there is so much that we're uncovering and we're exploring because now we've finally given ourselves the opportunity to do so that's why i chose this one because it's very relevant and yeah it's, it's something that i think is very necessary yeah the next one is going to shift the conversation a little bit because it talks about one of my favorite words, boundaries. <laughs> yes. And I have an episode that talks all about boundaries. And I think now more than ever, we will be forced to confront the concept of boundaries. 
So that one is on page 55. Take it away. So this piece is called Boundaries. <laughs> and it goes like this. So it will cost me nothing to be kind until it does. So I wrote this when I was less understanding of boundaries yeah. and the importance of them. I was a very widely accepting person. Because of that, kind or seen as kind, obviously. And so, you know, I went probably most of my life not thinking that boundaries were necessary if I was genuinely kind yeah and not even being kind so that people would be kind to me i just literally didn't know how else to operate so i was literally like why else would i be anything else and thus i'd expect on top of that that no one would have any other reason to be anything else towards me yeah so i had a interesting i guess you know expectation maybe subconsciously of things and it really cost me nothing to be kind like it was the easiest thing my life was pretty simple because i'd just be kind and then keep it moving <laughs> and then <laughs> until it did cost me and the concept of boundaries becomes i mean i learned you know what it would cost me without boundaries right right so the idea there is it's the idea of a wake-up call and not to say that i'm less kind now but I limit, I guess, you know, the extension of kindness. So always still in support of people and being there, but knowing now through experience that I don't have to necessarily accept everything or be as welcoming and inviting. Not that I'm going to be standoffish, but that not everything, everything is not for me. Everything isn't for everybody. Right. You know, and so understanding that. And knowing that, yeah, I can be kind to everybody and I still am, but okay, like just being more discerning, more selective and saying, I'll be kind to all as always, but will I be maybe as inviting or as allowing or I myself, will I be someone who goes out and seeks additional people or projects or things like that? And also learning that Part of kindness or a necessary element of kindness is actual boundaries because boundaries allow people to their expectations of you in check. And that's what I also learned is that people always expect me to be kind, which I was, but then, you know, you give an inch and they take a mile kind of thing. So right. when they go as eventually they, you know, people may go as far as they think they can go. And then you realize, oh, I was very accepting of things I probably didn't need to accept. And they wouldn't have hated me any less if I said no way back, but here we are. So that's the motivation behind this piece. To this day, it still costs me nothing, but I learned that it won't cost me until it does. And the moment it does might be when the boundary is too late, right? Right. So yeah, but that's that's my, my philosophy there about around you know boundaries and, and my uh, experiences with that i chose this one because of the message that i took from it and being able to look at it from two different sides so for me in this time it's important for us to be kind firstly to ourselves and then to others yeah and i bring that up because of the uncertainty and the fear 
it is very easy for us to operate from a place of selfishness. So when you look at no supermarket having toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> because people have gone and bought stacks and packs. To me, that tells me they're one, they're operating from a place of fear and uncertainty and two, they're selfish. Yeah. So when you do that, you impact others and you impact the community. But if you operate from a place of kindness, then everybody, including you, stands to benefit. Exactly. Because you're not only thinking about yourself, you're thinking about others. So when you go to buy six packs of toilet paper with a household of two, do you really need six? <laughs> or can you settle with just two packs? Yeah. You know, so... It was important to bring that idea to the forefront. That's in a time where everybody wants to think about self. Let's not go with wanting to think about self, but just come from a place of kindness and compassion. But I caveat that with, like you said, being discerning. So don't be blindly kind and don't be blindly compassionate to your own detriment. It's also important to bring that point up that you're sensible about how you conduct yourself. That's also important. So yeah, it costs me nothing to be kind and I will continue to be kind and I will continue to show compassion and empathy until doing so impacts my own well-being. Yes. It's not shameful to want to put yourself first. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with looking about your own well-being because if you don't take care of you, then who will? The idea of boundaries as well as being the ability to shape how we treat people. To that, even the idea of looking out for yourself enables others to benefit from you more positively because yeah. the thing with boundaries is you could think about it as if you were to bake a pizza and your pizza had 10 slices and every time you baked a pizza people came you gave all your slices away and then you realize you have none left for yourself and then what ends up happening is you get into a habit of people expecting to get two three four slices on their own and then you get nothing but they already ate their slices so they don't even notice that you didn't eat your own slice or get a piece of your own pizza and so you then decide hey you know what i'm gonna bake a pizza it's gonna be 10 slices but i'm gonna eat the first two or three myself then i'll have seven left and then i can offer the rest to others yeah and setting that kind of a boundary in understanding that feeding yourself first or being selfish first right is important because then what then happens is then people will only expect to get maybe two out of the seven slices instead of four out of the ten right and furthermore to that point it also creates fairness right right because again those you know you meet somebody halfway but they're only meeting you 20% of the way. And then you decide you're going to meet them 80%. You know, you shouldn't have to work that extra 30%. And for them, their 20% gets normalized as them thinking it's halfway. And then when, when things go sour and then you have to draw back to 50, that person probably doesn't even know how or what the extra 30% even means. They're incapable of it because you might have not set a boundary or enabled them to operate at 20 when you were giving it. You know, so the idea of boundaries as well as being the ability to shape how we treat people. Yeah. And how we allow ourselves to be treated too. That's the other thing, because right now we're talking about social distancing and we take it 
So literally, when we think about only the physical boundaries, you go into the supermarket, there's all these barricades and it's so easy to think of this word as being physical and literal, but then there are also emotional boundaries that we need to have in place because if we're not careful, then we can suffer as a result. And I say this because not all of us cope and respond to what is going on in the same way. There are some of us who will go quiet and will process internally. Yeah. And then there are other persons who they cope by venting. Yeah. And then there are others who they feel better by complaining. <laughs> and you have to know how much of that as an individual you can take and tolerate. So if you have a friend that they constantly watch news, they're constantly reading the articles, they can tell you the death toll in every city, in every country, and that is their way of coping. But for you, feeding on that negativity does you more harm than good. Yeah. And you understand that is how that person copes and that's how that person processes. That's their way of holding on to some measure of control by always being in the know. Yeah. You have to be able to recognize that. And then for yourself, set a bond that you will only be communicating with this person for no more than five minutes. Like that's your threshold. You can't be afraid to admit it, acknowledge it, and then implement it for your own well-being. Exactly. You know, you're being kind and compassionate by making yourself available to that person to engage them. Yeah. But you have to know your limits. Yeah. You're offering a service and you're being a good friend by allowing them to talk and to rant and to rage for the five minutes. But at the end of the day, you also need to be kind to yourself. And when being kind to you starts to cost me, cost me my peace of mind and my well-being, then that's where the boundaries have to be put in place. Like, listen, I love you, my friend, but I have to go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's why I chose this poem as well, because it's something that we're now being forced to face, especially for those of us who live in a household with more than one person. So you're constantly in each other's face and in each other's space. How do you maintain that emotional and that mental boundary? Yeah. You know, how do you hold on to your personhood when you have to share a space? And it is being able to find what works for you. That is what will keep you sane, keep you whole, keep you healthy and allow you to come out on the other side of this experience. And it was important that we talked about this and get people starting to think about it as well. Pay attention to the kind of boundaries that you set for yourself, the emotional boundaries, boundaries within your friendships. How do people treat you and how do, how do you treat people? Very important things that we need to be talking about in this time. So yeah, that's why I chose this one. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a great piece. I appreciate you uh, sharing that. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, boundaries regulate reciprocation, right? So yes, 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 yes. Say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries regulate reciprocation. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just wrote that down and then I, I and then I and then I was like let me just say it because it just popped up in my head um, it, it was a good one that's why you're the writer man <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it, thank you you know it just it just came to me yeah that's essentially it you know it, it, it regulates reciprocation you know so I give to you you give to me share exchange but boundaries the speed of that, the capacity of that, the frequency of that, the intensity of that, 
privacy or different things like that, that that's what boundaries are for is to then regulate how you in fact are giving and taking, right? Right. And last, but by no means least, and yes, that's a very cliche saying, but it's very, very relevant for right now is the poem Cherish. And that's on page 37. So before I get you to read and share the headspace and the heart space of where this is coming from, I wanted to share why I chose this poem and why I saved it for last. These last few days or weeks for some of us have forced us to face our mortality. Yeah. And that's not always an easy and a comfortable thing to do. Yes. When you're living, (laughs) you don't have time to think about dying. Now that the business of living has slowed down to a snail's pace, now you have been given or being forced to engage in the practice of thinking about dying. And when you think about dying, then you think about your loved ones and then you start to assess what you place your value on, what is near and dear to you, what is important to you, and ultimately what you cherish. For me, it's relationships, it's friendships, it's the connections that I have with people. Those are what tops my list. Yeah. If I was to prioritize what I cherish and what I deem important, it's not the academic achievements. Yeah. It's not the work achievements. Yeah. It's not even the things I create. It's people. Yeah. It's a connection. So in a time where the things that we build are slowly losing value, what do we then place our value on? What are the things going to ultimately cherish or now being forced to consider to cherish, you know, to hold and deem as important? That's what we're now being confronted with as people, as a humanity. And that's why I say this one for last, because I want us at the end of the day to walk away asking ourselves, what do we cherish? Yeah. So with that said, it's all yours. (laughs) Uh, Great. So this one goes, cherish your never happenings as much as your never endings in moments, in loves, in life. So the idea behind this is... For me, when I wrote this was to, I was reflecting on a lot of things where, you know, I might have thought whether or not I might have been attached to whatever the person or the moment or the object or the opportunities, but just sometimes thinking, wow, imagine if that lasted longer. Imagine if this person was still around today or if I was still doing this and learning to attribute the same value we give to things that we believe will never end to things that may have never lasted or happened, you know? Yeah. So it really comes to seeing things for what they are and holding on to, and I know we talked about control and all of that, but the idea of holding on to what the goodness of those never happenings might've been. So yeah, this didn't pan out, but it taught me this, or there was that one moment I'll never forget. And because of that, because of cherishing that, you can cherish it as much as the things that you may see that won't end, 
or that may last forever because that's how you make those things last forever, right? Right. Is by cherishing them. The almosts in our lives and things like that, it's about cherishing those sort of things and seeing them as equally as the things we do have. Because there may be a time where the things we do have may not last. And then we are forced to assess. And again, like you said, how we place the value, right? Right. And, and how we value things. So looking at, you know, just because something is in the present with us, something we might think we'll have forever. It's a gratitude piece. Yeah. I love also the fact that the first thing you, in the list of what you should cherish, you said in moments, because earlier you mentioned we're always basing our happiness on a future achievement. I'll be happy when I get that new car. I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy when. And it's like happiness is a moving target. Exactly. And if you live like that, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough. Yes. And for me, when you mentioned cherishing never endings in moment, in love, in life, the in moment for me spoke volumes because it's so easy for us to fall in the trap of future versus no. We won't enjoy our full existence if we don't appreciate and cherish the no and assign to the no equal, if not greater value than the future. And in a time where tomorrow isn't sure, isn't certain, we really should be cherishing the no. Yeah. When people are talking about, oh, out of this will come a recession and you start to worry, you're worrying about a reality that may not come to be. You're worrying about a recession that may not happen. You're worried about a circumstance that may not even come to pass. When you put yourself in a tailspin with ideas, realities that just live in your head rather than focus on right now, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And I think that's the final message for this section that we need to leave our listeners with that in a moment where it is easy to give in to the fear, to give over to the uncertainty. Yeah to worry about future events. Don't surrender to that. Instead, cherish the no. Cherish your relationships. Exercise compassion and kindness, but with a spirit of discernment. Don't be afraid to put your boundaries in place. Don't be afraid to enforce them. Yeah. Like those are the key lessons and the takeaways that I have. <laughs> and I just wanted to share with anybody who hears this. Thank you so much for writing this excellent piece of work. <laughs> and that's the power of the written word. When it's intentional and it's beautifully done, it's timeless. And it's not confined to any one circumstance, situation. I just had to share it with my listeners. So they all find hope and peace and solace from the wisdom in your words. Thank you. Thank you for reading and finding yourself in it. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when I, I write these things, you know, in my craft, it's always for myself first. It's, it's really my way of often translating the intangibles of life. And so being able to really give that away is the blessing. And it's something that can't be bought in that sense. And so I'm always you know, grateful that people can walk away with something like that and part some sort of change in that regard. And even whether if it's not change, but if it's just 
somebody is able to think a little bit more about themselves or about the things they care about. And, you know, if it ultimately makes them put more into those things, then the book has served. So thank you. I appreciate it very much. My beautiful, beautiful souls. Thank you so much for listening. This is the longest episode of the entire podcast. And I really appreciate you sitting down and going on this journey with me and Jermaine as we discuss ideas and thoughts that we can all ruminate on as we continue to go through our social distancing and confinement in a bit to flatten the curve. I really appreciate Jermaine taking the time to have this conversation with me. I felt it was needed and I wanted to spark some ideas, some thoughts, as well as encourage and leave with you a message of hope that regardless of what we hear on the news and what we see happening around us, we need to keep hope alive. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. I'm sending love and light and positivity to you. And as you hear my voice, you will feel better and you'll find solace in the message that we've shared with you and you'll find peace. So until next time, remember, there are two sides to every coin. Just flip it to get the full view. Catch you next week. Bye.